I'm Nicole Davidson, and this is the Negotiation in Real Life podcast, the show where we take the lessons learned in real life negotiations to help you build your negotiation toolkit. We'll be hearing from lawyers, entrepreneurs, and senior business people about their best and worst negotiations. Negotiation is one of the most important skills for success in business and in life, but it's a skill we are rarely taught. For many of us, we develop our skills purely through trial and error. We see what works, discard what doesn't, and if we're lucky, we'll have a few good mentors along the way. In this podcast, we're going to give you access to an even greater range of negotiation mentors. Enjoy this episode and please reach out if you have any questions. In this episode of Negotiation in Real Life, we talk with Chloe Morfoot, an experienced litigation partner at FAL Lawyers. Chloe is experienced in acting for clients in the public and private sectors, including statutory authorities, government departments, councils, insurers, and corporations. She advises her clients on compliance issues, statutory interpretation, corporate and commercial law, administrative and construction law. Chloe has substantial experience in running large-scale complex litigation with a specialised focus on insolvency and bankruptcy disputes. She regularly advises directors, insolvency practitioners and creditors in relation to issues surrounding the appointment of external administrators, validity of security interests, priority of claims, insolvent trading and voidable transactions. In this episode, we talk about the challenges of transitioning from negotiation theory learned at law school to practical negotiation, managing imposter syndrome as a junior lawyer, negotiating when you are emotionally involved, getting negotiation outcomes which are better than anything a court can order, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. So welcome to Negotiation in Real Life, Chloe. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks for having me, Nicole. Absolute pleasure. So, Chloe, before we start talking about some of your experiences negotiating both as a lawyer and as a client and talking about some of the challenges of negotiating in the legal profession, I'd love for you to just give our listeners a brief overview of who you are and what you do. Sure. So um, my name is Chloe Morfoot. I'm a partner at FAL Lawyers. I've been practicing in the legal industry for almost 10 years now and Uh, The bulk of my practice is in litigation and commercial disputes. So what that basically means is I generally help business business owners uh, resolve any conflict that they might be having in a commercial context so that they can get back to focusing on running their businesses. Sounds great. And it's a space that I work in a lot as well. So I'm sure we'll have some similarities as we go through. Chloe, you said you've been in um, practice for 10 years, and I know that there's a lot of negotiation involved as a lawyer what have been some of the challenges that you've faced in your career when you've had to negotiate so far well it's interesting because when you're studying law at university um, you learn all of the negotiation theory um, and it's really not until you start working as a lawyer that you get to put that into practice on a regular basis in what is traditionally a more adversarial context in litigation disputes So I guess it takes when you're first starting out in negotiating, it does take a little bit of time for you to find your feet and to find your rhythm in, you know, reading the room, reading the the dynamic between the parties, whether that be the dynamic between the two um, parties on on either side or also 
sometimes there can be interesting dynamics between the solicitors. I was pretty young when I started uh, in the legal profession. So I'd only just turned 21 and I was, I guess, a young, cheery blonde. Um, and I think that that presented its own challenges. Um, perhaps I didn't necessarily appreciate that at the very beginning. So that was something that I had to kind of learn how to manage, not so much in terms of my confidence, but um, perhaps how I was perceived by the clients and also uh, the practitioners on the other side. My assumption is that there was negative assumptions and perceptions that were going on there. What were the way that they played out? How did you realise that you had this challenge about how people were perceiving you? I guess it's difficult to articulate, but I think that, like, say, for example, in a mediation context, sometimes I would go along to the mediation with the client and you could just see with the body language that there'd be, I mean, this is stereotyping, but let's say, for example, an old um, male practitioner on the other side would look across the table and think, oh, excellent, this is going to be a really easy day for them. And initially, the way that I had tried to counteract that was to make sure that I was um, really across the detail of the case um, and sort of over-prepared so that then I felt um, comfortable that any question that was thrown at me, I had a response to. I guess in a way that was a little bit of imposter syndrome and I was trying to counteract that by making sure that I could never get tripped up by any questions. And I mean, that worked and obviously you've got to be prepared when you go into a negotiation, but I think you've also got to be open-minded. Uh, another way that I tried to counteract that was I love um, beautiful shoes and dresses and things, but I, I don't know why, but I felt that it was necessary to wear pants to a mediation to try and sort of, I guess, level the playing field. Whether or not that made any difference meaningfully in the negotiation or not, but it, it definitely made a difference to the way that I felt. Um, and then I think as I got more confident with my negotiation style and more experience, uh, I, it didn't really matter as much the, the type of corporate clothes that I wore and more it came down to you know, the language and the way that you carried yourself in the media, in the negotiation. Yeah, but that's so important, isn't it? Because what you've picked up on there is that whole internal game of negotiation. And, you know, sometimes the toughest competitor you've got in the negotiation is yourself because of the stories that are going on inside your head, whether they're true or not. And so, you know, finding a way to manage those. Were you supported in the workplace to be able to find ways to move around this challenge or was it something you had to manage all by yourself? Well, I have to say that I think at the time I probably didn't recognise it as much as what I do now with the benefit of hindsight. Um, I was in a very supportive workplace where there were other female solicitors who, you know, were experienced in litigation and, you, you know, I guess you learn um, by osmosis as well. But also, I mean, we're very fortunate, I think, in the Melbourne legal market, there's so many amazing, outstanding female practitioners, female mediators, um, and also really supportive male um, legal practitioners and mediators as well. Um, but it was interesting because I noticed that at the very beginning of my career, uh, when there was this sort of preconceived bias that uh, it was going to be a really easy day, I found that the negotiation rhythm was um, very one-sided and you know, the parties would take a very strong stance and it was really difficult to get some headway. But then I think maybe it was to do with my perception because eventually I realised that actually I'm a really good lawyer and a great negotiator and a great advocate for the client. So whatever the perceived position is when you walk into a room, 
I guess it's like shame on them for misjudging you because then I started to really value that as an asset because I sort of describe it as the surprise attack, but where they're not expecting you to be so prepared or, or so on top of um, the work or coming up with these great negotiation tools and offers that they almost get blindsided by it. And then it's a really great opportunity to turn the tables. No, I think that's a really good point that, you know, particularly people with that mindset and, you know, once again, some people come into those mediations and settlement conferences, particularly with a much more willing mindset to work together to get to an outcome. Others come back with that much more adversarial, what I like to think of as older style, but it's, it's not necessarily gone away, but you know, that more, you know, what I talk about is a softer approach in the negotiation, which is, is a more collaborative, often seen as a more feminine style of negotiation can be very powerful just in terms of getting people to open up. And as you said, you know, if you've got all, if you're well prepared, um, then you can absolutely just jump in with the information. And while I don't always advocate wrong footing somebody as a way of getting ahead in the negotiation, sometimes it's the best way to move forward if they're particularly stubborn. It can also sometimes be a good opportunity to open up the dialogue because sort of tripping them up, sometimes they think, oh, wow, I really should be listening more to what you're saying. And then you kind of, I guess, have the opportunity to even even the playing field in the sense that then then that's then the opportunity to start working together and negotiating. And your experience as a lawyer who has had to go through that and develop these skills almost subconsciously by the sounds of it, how does that impact on the way that you mentor your junior lawyers? Um, I think it's just important to maintain an open dialogue about these sorts of things and, you know, sort of brainstorming internally within the office um, the different types of scenarios that could come about or I guess sharing my experience because I think the more that you advocate for open dialogue, the more knowledge sharing that can go around the office throughout the entire team so that everyone can pull their experiences to get the best outcome for the client. I wholeheartedly agree. So as you went through, have there been any significant negotiations that have really stuck in your mind as ones where you've been able to put something into practice that's really made a difference? There have been a couple of negotiations in my capacity as a lawyer where the parties have walked and I mean we always discuss this in a in a sort of general sense with clients about you know the opportunity to go to mediation allows you to come up with an outcome that you don't necessarily end up um, having the opportunity to get at court what I love about negotiations is um, getting creative with what can actually become a mutually beneficial outcome sometimes in litigation you know when you get to court the outcome is really a cost order and then damages or specific performance or whatever the case may be. Whereas I had this one particular matter where it was just a supply trade dispute. And basically uh, the parties were at loggerheads and were not interested at all in cooperating. Um, but the two solicitors on the other, on each side were cooperating and, uh, and very open-minded about how the negotiation was going to go. And I think the key point of difference in this mediation was that both solicitors were listening to not only the outcome of what their client wanted in the dispute, but also just more generally having a better awareness about the nature of their business. And again, this comes down to open dialogue with the clients as well, generally throughout the day about, you know, whether it be business ventures or pain points that they're currently happening in their business. And the outcome that we were able to end up resolving was 
effectively like a joint venture, which nobody went into the day. It was not even on the table. It wasn't even within the realm of possibilities. But as it turned out, one of the pain points that the parties on the other side were seeking to solve generally in their business was something that our client could offer. So it was totally outside of the ambit of the dispute. But as a result of, I guess, working together to try and solve each other's problems, the original dispute fell away. And that's something that you could have never got in court. That's a fantastic outcome, isn't it? Yeah. And it's also something that you can't get unless you really get to know your clients and understand how their business operates and what they're struggling with. It's so interesting, isn't it? And, you know, I think that's the thing. People go into disputes really focusing on that narrow arrangement of, you know, this is relevant to the dispute. And, you know, I'll often ask questions in a mediation that they go, well, why is that relevant? Why do we need to talk about this? And so actually helping the clients understand that the more they put on the table, the more scope there is for creating something that's more valuable is such an important part of the process. So it's great to hear stories of that in action. What's been the biggest lesson if you had to tell some of your juniors you know one thing that's going to make a difference in their negotiation what would that be and and how did you learn it off the back of that example I think the number one rule that you need to I I guess abide by in a negotiation is to listen to your clients and just listen to the other parties but not just listen to the language that they're using but hear them in the in the like well-rounded sense about who they are why they're here, what is their background, so that then once you start really listening in a negotiation, that's when the whole world opens up in terms of possible things to put on the table. And often I'll propose ideas to clients in a mediation and say, you know, well, what do you think about this? How about if we offered this, um, would you be willing to get something else in return? Sometimes it's shut down immediately by the clients but at least you've thrown it out there for consideration. And often they'll say, well, no, absolutely not. But I'd be prepared to offer, you know, this. Yeah, and that's it, isn't it? And then going further to even explore, well, why is it? Why wouldn't you accept this? What is it about it? That then helps you recast that in a different light that might make, you know, a few tweaks that becomes acceptable to them when the initial proposal wasn't. So I think that's all really valuable. We've been talking so far about your role negotiating on behalf of clients as a lawyer. What experience have you had of negotiating on your own behalf? As you know, I've been involved in a couple of businesses of my own um, and my parents have run their own business and somehow managed to stay married for 30 years. (laughs) Well done to them. Yes. So um, I guess I've been raised in quite an entrepreneurial household um, and one of the businesses that I've been involved in is a legal tech company uh, and there were three lawyers involved at the very beginning. I was the most junior by far. Uh, I think between us we had close to 50 years of legal experience and we were negotiating a development contract with our software developer. They had, the software developer had a top tier firm acting for them on the other side Uh, And then the three of us had no money uh, as a startup and we were representing ourselves. And they always say never a lawyer or a fool has a lawyer who represents themselves has a fool for a client, isn't it? Yes. Yes. (laughs) So we had three fools. Um, (laughs) But it was interesting because it was a very unusual dynamic where the other side were represented. We were effectively not represented 
Um, but we were kind of represented because we were all experienced lawyers. But the third, I guess, complexity to the negotiation was that it was a project that we all wanted to work on. So we weren't in a dispute at all. It was just negotiating terms on the contract. But what was really curious was that it was one of the most heated negotiations I've ever been involved in. I think the client on the other side, who was our software developer, perhaps felt that we were trying to hoodwink him because we were the lawyers and smarter or something. I'm not too sure. But we were desperate to get the deal done because we had a very limited amount of money. We just really wanted to build this project. But we also wanted to try and minimize our risk as much as possible. So there were quite a few times in throughout the course of the negotiation where the whole deal nearly fell over because neither party wanted to budge. We were trying to minimize our risk. The client on the other side thought that we were trying to do the wrong thing. I think because from a, normally when you've got the two clients talking to each other, the power imbalance is, there's no perceived power imbalance, but then at the same time, the other side was represented. So we got there in the end, but it was very interesting because it was highly emotional from our side. And where did that come from? Was that because um, you didn't feel like you'd be able to get someone who would do the job as well and at a similar price? Was it because your alternatives weren't very good? Is that the desperation? Or was it just the delay and the time of not getting it done with this person? I think it was probably all of the above. Mm. Um, we'd also had a bad experience with another developer and we'd paid the full contract price up front and then nothing ever got built and... So we were trying to sort of recover the contract price from the old developer. In the meantime, we had a considerable amount of money left over, but then this was all we had left. And so we just needed to make it work. Interesting, isn't it? And and that dynamic that you've described too, I think the the mere fact that lawyers come into a negotiation, people who are non-lawyers often do then start to get scared and that then raises, you know, they almost preempt that they're going to have to be quite combative, whereas you've already described having quite a collaborative style of negotiation. When you look back in hindsight, do you think there's anything that you could have done to recognise that they might have been scared of negotiating with lawyers and to, to perhaps counteract those assumptions that they were making? This particular negotiation that we were doing, it was over the Christmas break. And so everybody was remote. We sort of passed the drafts via email a few times and then had multiple conference calls with everybody on the phone and you know people were interrupting one another and hanging up and it all got a bit much i think with the benefit of hindsight it would have been whilst i very much advocate for you know connecting virtually and and conference calls and things like that i think in this particular scenario we may have been better placed to have been in a room together i think that's it i think where you've got a new relationship and that relationship hasn't been cemented yet the ability to actually get to know each other as people and and even just those discussions that you have while you're grabbing cups of tea or coffee or you know having a bite of lunch to eat that just enables the relationship to develop to a place where then it can sustain virtual negotiations but unless you've been through that it can be really challenging and look it is hard these days when we're all not just working remotely hopefully that will end soon but also doing deals with people who are much more geographically diverse than they used to be so I think it's an ongoing challenge for us of how we build those relationships. I agree. I think video does a lot to, um, I guess, combat some of the challenges that you otherwise would have remotely. Um, in this particular negotiation, we were doing, you know, 10-person conference calls. And not only is it difficult to get a word in, but there's no body language. It is limited on video what body language you can get, but it's better than 
no body language at all. Absolutely. A smile is worth a lot. Exactly. And you can't <laughs> smile through the telephone. So look, that's really interesting stories that you've shared. Is there anything else that you would like to leave as a key tip for people in terms of getting better results, particularly, you know, your experience as a disputes lawyer? For clients who have disputes, is there anything that you'd encourage them to do to avoid having to come and see you? Um, I think the best piece of advice I can give from a commercial perspective is pick up the phone and try to have a call with the other side before it gets to the point where you aren't on speaking terms. Often in a dispute context, particularly where um, it's the business owner in the driving seat of the negotiation, emotions can run really high uh, and the value of just pausing for even just 10 seconds before responding to something can really drop the temperature in the negotiation because I do think that sometimes what happens is emotions run so high and then the temperature just escalates to such a level that neither party is listening to each other anymore. Excellent advice, Chloe. Thank you. So, Chloe, before we finish up, if someone wanted to come and have a discussion with you, perhaps they've got a dispute that they need some advice on, um, how would they reach out to you? Uh, I'm flexible on how you contact me. Uh, my LinkedIn is Chloe Morefoot. Uh, or alternatively, feel free to send me an email. Um, my email is chloe.morefoot at fal-lawyers.com.au. Fantastic. And we'll put those details in the show notes for people as well. So, Chloe, thanks again for coming and taking the time to speak to me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Negotiation in Real Life podcast. If you've taken away some great tips from this episode, I'd love to hear about it. So please connect with me via my website or LinkedIn. If you're enjoying the podcast and would like to learn more tips to improve your negotiations, head to our website, nicoledavidsonnegotiation.com.au, where you can follow my blog, watch presentations and download resource sheets. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you get every episode as it comes out. If you have an interesting negotiation story that you'd like to share with my audience, head to the website and complete a guest application. Until the next episode, happy negotiating.